Um, but really amazing to be here. Many of you won't know who I am. Um, as Gabe said, been part of Life Changes or was part of Life Changes for 10 plus years, um, but predominantly based at our Tableview location. So didn't make it out to the city super often, but have been here quite a few times and love to be here. Um, those Dream Team parties looked like an absolute jaw. So really amazing. Well done for serving. Gabe, many years of youth camps really helped for those events. <laughs> um, I've played many of those games with Gabe at many youth camps. Um, so, but really fun to be here tonight. I won't be long, and if it's really terrible, I'll leave the country. Is that fair? Um, but but re as Gabe said, I will be very brief about myself. My name is Tyler. I'm married to my incredible wife, Kate. We are in the process of immigrating to the United Kingdom. I have, we, I have a job there. I work for a company there. I work in London. They have given me the privilege of being back in South Africa for a little while while we process my wife's visa. Um, and we've loved it. It's been an incredible journey. We miss life changes when, we, when I was away. It's quite a surreal thing not being part of a community that you were part of for 10 years. Um, but we felt incredibly sent. We're full of faith for the next season. I'm going back next week. My wife will join me hopefully on that day or within a week or two after that. Um, and it just is a, it's been a really fun journey. Every, when I go to work in the morning, I drive, I cycle across Blackfriars Bridge. Um, Tower Bridge is on my left. Um, Big Ben is on my right. It's quite a surreal thing. You feel like you're in a movie a little bit every time, but it really is a lot of fun. And so we are, um, we found an incredible church there, um, which we're really excited to be a part of and build into and serve and love people. And yeah, God is on the move. But that's enough about me. Let's get stuck into the Word of God. Is that okay? We are going to read a lot of Scripture tonight. Is that okay? Everyone's like, finally, less of the talking and more of the reading. I know. Um, but we're going to read a, a chapter of the book of John. If you don't know what the book of John is, it is one of the first four books of the New Testament. It's the, one of the four Gospels. The Gospels are the books that effectively tell the narrative of Jesus' life on earth. Um, so if you ever want to start, if you've never read the Bible before, guess what? That's okay. There was a time when I had never read the Bible before. But if you want to start in a great place, the book of John is phenomenal. Because it just tells a beautiful, I mean, all the Gospels are phenomenal and the whole book is incredible. But it really is a great place to start because it tells a beautiful story of Jesus. You get to see the love of God, the, the absolute mind-blowing reality that God would become man to die on a cross so that humanity could have hope and salvation. It just tells that story. It's, it's, it's not long to read. It'll probably, if you read it from front to back, it'll take you an hour or so, maybe two, to read the whole book, depending on how quickly you read. My wife, an hour, me too. Um, but it really is this beautiful book. And so we're going to read the whole chapter of John. And as we read this, I think sometimes in a, a culture where we are, I, we, I wouldn't call us the Twitter generation, we're now the TikTok generation, so it's a little bit changed, but we are, we are consumed by getting very short bites of information. So we, we read short scriptures, we have devotionals that give us three verses in the morning that encourage us, and we read a kind of a, a blurb from a great writer that gives us some insight. And those things are really good, but sometimes it's good to read scripture in a chunk, because Scripture tells a story. The center of the Bible is Jesus. It is the story of Jesus. The Old Testament and New Testament is the story of Jesus. And when we read it, we get a picture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read this, this chapter. And as we read it, I it'll be on the screen behind me. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. But as we read it, I want you to read it as a story. Is that okay? Great. Let's go for it. 
So verse 1, John chapter 9, if you have your Bible, it starts like this. It says, as he passed by, it's referring to Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. So this man was born blind. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, a rabbi is a a, a kind of religious teacher of the day, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And it's quite an interesting scripture, but effectively what it's referring to is that Jesus was going to the cross, and he was saying, guys, we need to get the job done. We need to save the world. I need to get to the cross, so we need to do the work while it's still day. Before I get there, before I'm murdered on a cross and rise again, we need to do what we're called to do. And isn't it a similar call to us as the church? We need to do what we're called to do. It's this, this beautiful um, text, and he goes along, and he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things... He spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. We'll get to this in a second. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm a little bit confused. I'm going, spat, mud, eye. Okay, cool. I can go with it. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. So I don't know how... And sometimes we need to have our minds stretched a little bit by God. I don't think there was anything miraculous about the mud or the spit. I think there was something miraculous about Jesus. I think sometimes his scriptures stretch our minds a little bit. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, the blind man, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I think that's fascinating. I really am him, I promise. You used to walk past me every day, blind, begging, and people didn't recognize him. I think it's a fascinating story. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. The Sabbath day is a day of rest in the Jewish culture. You couldn't do work, you couldn't, and effectively that meant no miracles were allowed, which, which will start to play out as we go on. And so the Pharisees again asked him, how have you received this sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, the blind man said, he's a prophet. And in the, this day, a prophet was a big deal. If they said someone was a prophet, it was a, it was a big claim to make. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man. So they are verifying the identity here. They called the parents of the man who had received his sight. I imagine for the man who had received his sight, this is a very uncomfortable situation. You can finally see, and now you're basically in court. We're going to get your parents. Is it him? So the reason I tell the story like this is because sometimes we have to almost imagine what is happening here. Parents of the man who received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, 
But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. That's a great privilege, eh? Let the man speak for himself. His parents, and, and so it carries on, and, and asked him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, which was effectively being excommunicated from community. It was effectively like, we never want to see you again, because the synagogue was the place of worship. It was the center of community in that day. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And so it carries on, and so for the second time, they called the man, or his parents answered, we know this is our son, and it kind of carries on, and he's talking, and, and verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And we're going to get into that line a little bit later. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So this is a kind of reference to the, the believers or the, the, the Jews of the day believed that prayer and supplication would move the hand of God. So that's what they're kind of referring to here, which is it's totally legitimate, but they're missing the miracle. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing, they answered him. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, the man, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are you also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Father, I pray as we take 15 or 20 minutes tonight to unpack the scripture, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, King Jesus. I pray that as we read your word, as we grapple with these texts, as we grapple with a couple of things that you said, I pray, God, that we would leave this place changed. Preachers can be preached, things can be said, but only your Holy Spirit can transform men's hearts and women's hearts, God. And so I pray right now that that would happen tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my sermon tonight is a very simple one, it is the miracle no one saw coming. And the first point I want to make tonight is very simply this. You might not see it. You might not see it. Jesus answered him, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Now, there was a belief system in the day that if you were blind or you were ill or anything like that, that that was caused by your sin or your generational sin. And, and, God's, and Jesus is saying in this moment, he's saying, actually, no, that's not the case here. The case here is that I'm in control, 
And this man's life is an opportunity for my glory to be made. It's this beautiful moment where Jesus is going, actually, the purpose of the story, the miracle no one expects to happen, is to make my glory known. And I want to tell you tonight that God is, more, is working more for His glory than our personal story. He's working more for His glory than our personal story. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus loves you passionately. He's passionate about your future. The Bible says He knows every hair on your head. He knows every movement you make. He knows your yesterday, your today, and your forever. But I want to tell you that the gospel is a story of Jesus' glory being made famous. And it's almost this magnificent thing because our salvation is the byproduct. It's the byproduct of God's glory being made massive in our world. And sometimes we need to see the bigger picture. We need to see that actually my life, although incredibly valuable, loved by God, purposed by God, ordained by God, is for His glory, not for my story. That my relationship with Jesus is not built, grown, and developed so that my life can get better. It is so that His glory can be made known. And it is an incredible revelation to know because, one, it makes you feel really small. You go, okay, maybe I'm not as important as I think I am. But at the same time, it makes you feel incredibly liberated and free and have this ability to go, okay, this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. I love the narrative of the gospel is a narrative where God is working and we're often oblivious. It's this amazing thing. If you read the scriptures, Adam and Eve created in the garden, this beautiful work of creation. They get put in paradise. It is the Seychelles meets this Newlands Forest meets everything you could ever, meets the game reserve. You know, it's this beautiful place you, you could never dream of. You're seeing the big five and the, the big 700 other animals, and it's, it's incredible. And man is just kind of leisuring around, and he kind of messes it up. And I love this scripture, and, and you can go read it in Genesis, but it says, because of their sin, they were banished from the garden. This amazing thing, it says, but God went with them. And even though there were consequences to their sin, and we see right through the narrative of scripture, us being stupid and God being faithful. And right through the narrative of scripture, God is working, and we often are just not seeing it. I love in this text, it's so funny to me that the, and if you read the book of John, you'll see miracle after miracle, Gabe's been speaking about them, the different guys have been speaking about them, miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man, they come to a man who is blind, and his disciples' first question is not, hey Jesus, any chance you could sort this guy out as well, just make him see. Like you made the paralyzed guy stand. We've seen quite a few miracles. You're really good at this. Can you sort out the blind man, please? Their question is, Rabbi, what caused this? Can you see a problem there? Rabbi, what's caused the problem here? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? I can imagine Jesus going, guys, you're missing the point. I'm here to change the world. I'm here to transform hearts. I'm here to make blind men see. I'm here to raise the dead. But we get caught in the, what caused this? Why is this happening? Imagine they had walked up to that blind man and the disciples' reaction had been, Lord, we know who you are. Set this man free. Imagine the faith. And, and, and what I find amazing is that Jesus does a miracle anyway because that is who he is. But imagine how much more powerful the lives we lead would be if we stopped being oblivious to the work of God. 
if we stopped hoping that it would happen in the background and started actively pursuing it in faith. It's quite a different way to do life. It's a different way to go, hey, Lord, I hope this works out. And hey, Lord, I'm trusting you that this works out. For my wife and I in this immigration journey, it was a faith step. We had to go, hey, there, were a, there have been a lot of boxes that needed to be miraculously ticked for us. And God, in his kindness, has gone over and above every single time. And what's amazing is there have been many occasions where I've gone, wow, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that to happen. And I think that's just the kindness of God. But how much more amazing if I'd gone, hey, Lord, I'm going to trust you for this. Lord, I'm going to pray for this. Lord, I'm going to believe for this. Why? Because it stirs my faith. It stirs my friend's faith. It stirs my wife's faith. It changes a community when we go, Lord, we're going to start living on purpose. We're going to stop not seeing the potential miracle in front of us. And we're going to start believing for that miracle. Maybe the person that you know at work, that you see every morning, that you high-five, that you know is life's in chaos. Maybe you don't have to go up to them and go, hey, brother, you need to believe in the Lord and hope that something happens. That might not be the best approach, but maybe it's, hey, I'm going to stop praying for that person. I'm so convicted by that. I've worked for 10 years in a church. I worked with Christians my whole life. I now work with people who are not Christians. Um, And for me, there's this conviction of, and I've been processing it particularly recently, where I've been going, sure, what am I going to do in this space? What's my next step? Am I going to just go one day, oh, I'm, oh you, Rob, you got, you got saved. You're going to church. Oh, five, man, so exciting. And completely miss the miracle that God, could, that God is doing? Or am I going to choose to partner with heaven? Go, Lord, I want to see it. My first point, you might not see it. My second point, don't lose sight. This story is a story about a man who was blind, but now sees. I don't know about you. I have never seen that happen in front of me. I trust that one day I will. I've never seen a blind man see. But I pray and trust that my reaction would be exuberance and jubilee and excitement and going crazy and like blown away by the miracles I have seen, I've been blown away by. So I can imagine this must be, wow, wow. But the reaction of the people are, that wasn't allowed. Why did that happen? I'm sure it's not that guy. They're faking. Can it be real? And you know what we do is we, we lose sight of the main thing. I love as Jesus is speaking to him. He said, after he had been cast out of his community, and Jesus just says this to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. This was the response that should have happened in the crowd. It should have been, you can see? Who did it? Who did it? He did it. And the reaction should have been, Lord, we believe. And right through scripture, you see these moments where miracles happen and Jesus preaches and some people go, Lord, I believe. And some people go, he shouldn't have done that. And the problem is we lose sight of the main thing. I told the story uh, at um, Tableview two weeks ago, but I, when I, during the process of us moving, I was in England, my wife came back for her sister's wedding, and so we had a kind of two-month period where I was in England, Kate was here, 
And by God's absolute grace, my company has let me work here remotely while we do this process. So we were so excited to see each other. I booked the flights. I took the COVID tests. I bought 75 masks. I did all the things I had to do. Got on the plane. And just before I was going to fly back to South Africa, um, friends of ours, Rihanna Maria, told me that their 18-year-old son, Nathan, would be flying as well. And so they said, hey, why don't we book the same flight so you guys can fly together? He hasn't flown on his own before. I haven't flown on my own before, but they were like, you can look after him. I'm like, okay. Um, anyway, and so we, we kind of, anyway, we get in the plane, and we like, we like best friends, me and Nathan. We are eating together. We're laughing together. We're having the best time. It really was a great flight other than the flying. And so we get there, and we land. We get to... Um, Addis Ababa Airport, which is an interesting airport. There's one coffee shop. You'll pay like 1,500 Rand for the coffee, and it's really bad. Um, but I bought it in faith, and I regretted it later. Um, but we, and we were together, and then we got on the plane, and the second flight was open, and we had four seats, and, and we're walking, and, and I'm learning all about his life, and the girl that he met, and the girl that, and it's all happening. And then I come through Cape Town International Customs. I said to him, Nathan, keep your eyes down. Through customs, they didn't stop us, thankfully. The gentleman in front of us got pulled over. I was like, yes, we've done it. And so we go through, and I remember, for two months I haven't seen my wife. Nathan's next to me, and I'm walking through. Nathan's here. His friends who are picking him up, who I, I kind of know vaguely, are standing there. And they're like, hey. And Nathan's like, hey, guys, so good to see you. And over Nathan's friend's shoulder, I see my wife. And all of a sudden, I couldn't care less about Nathan. <laughs> I could not care less about Nathan's friends. I literally said to him, Nate, nice to see you. I saw his friends. I went, hi, guys. <laughs> and I walked straight past, and I gave my wife the biggest hug and the biggest kiss I could muster in an airport after 16 hours of not sleeping. Why? Because all of a sudden, the thing that was important stopped being important because I saw the thing that actually mattered. And the challenge is we live, in a, we live these lives where we lose sight of Jesus and we start to hold the hand of the thing that's holding us back and keeping us from God. Or we start to go, oh, I, I want Jesus, but oh, that, oh, yeah, let me just say hello to this first. Or let me just engage with this thing first. And we lose sight of who Jesus is and we lose sight of the main thing. What's grabbing your attention? What's taking your focus? What are you carrying with you that is stopping you engaging with the King? Is it the politics of life, the politics of church, the politics of work? Is it busyness? Is it offense? Is it your desire to be right? Is it, your, is it an addiction that you're struggling with that you haven't surrendered to God? Is it a brokenness that you've been hiding because you don't want people to know and you don't want to bring it into the light? What is it that you're letting stop you from seeing the main thing? The reaction of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees get a bad rap in the Bible. They were actually just religious teachers. They weren't as terrible as the Bible, or no, preachers often make them out to be. But the problem that happened with many of them is their hearts became hard. And when our hearts become hard and we lose sight of the main thing, the small things start to matter too much. And the response of the Pharisees here is, Jesus, the Savior of the world, has just done a miracle, a miracle, He's made a blind man see, but he did it on the wrong day. And how many of us respond like that in life? Come to church on a Sunday, and this, I've seen this, I was, in times I've been here, church for years and years of my life. We come to church, we worship, and we see that person who last Sunday didn't make our coffee hot enough. And you're like, oh. 
And at the end of the service, the preacher goes, hey, does anyone want to give their life to Jesus? And that one hand goes up, and heaven rejoices. But you're grumpy because your coffee wasn't hot enough. It's a stupid example of what we do so much. Or you saw that person who was rude to you, or your life group leader just isn't digging into the word in the right directions for you, or whatever it is that is building this offense and this thing. And actually, all of a sudden, instead of partnering with heaven, you're standing on the sidelines. That's what they did here. They stood on the sidelines. They went, you did it on the wrong day. And I think sometimes we have to say, Jesus, I need this all the time. My heart gets cynical so fast. My heart becomes, I am the most opinionated person in the world. You could ask me about something I know nothing about, and I will give you an opinion. That is who I'm like that. I'm learning not to be like that. I'm like that. You ask me about genetical sciences, and I'll tell you, I think it's great. Like, I am that person. I have a thought on everything. Cynicism can creep in quickly. Offense can creep in quickly. Anger can creep in quickly. And when those things, I mean, those are just one example of many of the things that grab our hearts. And all of a sudden, we start to develop this whitewashed tomb around our hearts. And Jesus is just going, I just want to get in. I want you to be part of the miracle. I want you to see me. I want you to engage with me. When last did you put your hands up in worship and be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because I can tell you, the times when I have been is when I'm not worried about everything else. And my eyes just go, I think sometimes we, for lack of a better word, over-spiritualize these things. And we go, I haven't, I haven't done my seven hours in the Word this week. And, and actually, but actually Jesus is just saying, hey guys, I need you to look at me again. I need you to see me. Lord, I believe. Don't lose sight. Keep the main thing the main thing. We are disciples of Jesus first and foremost. Scriptures say we are not of this world. We are in this world. So don't let the world turn you into something you shouldn't be. And the last thing I want to say tonight, and I know I'm running out of time, but it's this one point. It's for others to see. It's for others to see. I love this moment where this man is God goes from being blind to seeing. And I love the line he says. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I think it's very funny. He says to them, do you guys want to be his disciples? They are basically about to excommunicate him. And his response is, do you guys do you want to be in? Do you want to be in the group? Because he's awesome. Come join. And they're like, no. But how often do we live with this mentality of we're in the group here and they can do whatever they want? But actually, the testimony of your life, the power of what God has done in your story is for others to see. That miracle was as much, it was for that man, obviously, and Jesus is doing something there, but it was so that others would see the miraculous power of God. Gabe alluded to it a bit earlier, so it'll make my sermon a bit quicker, but we att I attended the most beautiful wedding I've ever seen. Other than my own, it was the most beautiful wedding I've ever seen yesterday because of the miraculous power of Jesus. And the man who officiated the wedding, Wally Gersmeyer, he preached at our morning congregations this morning. He just made this statement. He said, this marriage will be a story that will lead people to Jesus. And that morning, or I think it was that morning, Kath McGore, who got remarried to her husband after being six years divorced, told her hairdresser why she was having her hair done and then led her hairdresser to Jesus. And you know what's phenomenal about that is their story is a radical one. It's a radical story. But your story is a radical story.
any story that has got a thread of the grace and power of Jesus is a story that will change the world. You know, when you were 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 and you committed your life to God and He broke that thing and you forgave that person and you've found freedom in that relationship and you've found the ability to thrive and God's blessed your work. And those are stories of God's grace that change the world. But we live in, often we allow ourselves to dwell in this Christian bubble and we stop seeing the miraculous nature of our lives, that they can transform people's worlds. They can change people's lives. That depression that you possibly were set free from five or six years ago, that is a miracle story that Jesus can use today. But the thing is, we have to remember that our story, that our miracle, that maybe no one saw it coming, you didn't even see it coming, but that miracle can change somebody else's life. You see, the gospel is about our salvation, but it is about the salvation of the world. The Bible says that Jesus came for those who are far from him. And you are the ones called to transform the world. When we get the gospel, this becomes real. You don't need to be the best preacher. You don't need to use words like placating when you preach or when you speak. You don't have to do those things. You just have to tell people about what Jesus has done. Just tell people what Jesus is doing in your marriage, in your friendships, in your workplace, in your heart. Telling you now the grace and power of Jesus is attractive to our world. And if you're willing to share it, it will change the world. I want to end with this very, very last thought. Let's become, look what he has done, believers. Let's become people who are just going, look what he has done. Look what he has done. Jesus wants us, firstly, don't miss what he's doing. Secondly, fix your eyes on him. And thirdly, make sure you're partnering with what he's doing in our world. I really believe God's doing something special in this community. Carol's is a great opportunity. I know it's a, it seems trite, but Gabe says share things on social media. Invite friends. It's an opportunity for God's grace. Maybe the miracle that no one saw coming is happening in your family member, your friend on Carol's, when Mish is belting out a holy night and it's all happening. And Jesus does something. We've got, to over, we've got to stop overcomplicating this thing of being a believer in Christ. We do it way too much. I really believe God wants to do something. Can I ask us to stand? I'd love to pray. Sorry, I've gone a little bit over time. In Luke 4.18, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed. And that line just grips me because he has anointed me. You know what the truth of the New Testament is? Is that in the Old Testament, there were priests who were anointed by God to speak the word of God, to teach the word of God. But actually, the Bible says that we are the saints. Every one of us is anointed. No one more than anyone else. The power of God is on each and every one of us. So I just want you right now, if you wouldn't mind, and this might be a bit strange for you, just close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I just want you to put your two hands out in front of you. And this isn't so much an act. There's no power in the act. There's a power in the faith with the act. Father, I pray right now that you would anoint this room. I pray right now, Jesus, that we would not be believers who don't see what you are doing.
I pray when we walk up to the blind man, the opportunity for your grace, our question is why is not why is he like that. Our question is, Jesus, what can you do? When we walk into our boardrooms, into our businesses, into our families, into our children's bedrooms, into our families' houses, into our friendship circles, our question would be, Lord, what can you do? What can you use me for? And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, where people have allowed things to grip their hearts that shouldn't be gripping them, where people have allowed things to be carried with them, where people have taken their gaze off of you, Jesus, I pray right now, King Jesus, they would fix their eyes on you. Those things would be stripped off in Jesus' name, and the power of God would fall on them. Thank you, God. We don't do these things. You do these things. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would pour your power on every life here. That as we've, we've read your scriptures, Jesus, that you would start to stretch our hearts. That we would see what you are doing. That we would receive your grace. That we would see you, Jesus. And then we would become, look what he is doing, believers. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would enlarge the hearts of every person in this room. And I really pray specifically, Lord, where people have allowed their hearts to become hard through cynicism, through anger, through time, through offense, through all of those things, God, I pray that you would set them free right now, God. I pray that that offense that has been holding people would be released right now in Jesus' name. I pray that that cynicism that has stopped people from engaging wholeheartedly in what you are doing would be released right now. Father, I pray for a wholehearted generation of, of believers, God, that hearts are fully in it for you. I pray for myself, God, where I've let small things become big things. I pray that they would, that my eyes would readjust, that my focus would lift, that I would look into your eyes and see the only thing that truly matters. Jesus, put your call in our hearts. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and do something miraculous with us. In Jesus' name, amen.